No matter where your business is in Canada, connectivity shouldn't be a concern. Whether your business is rural, remote, or urban, reliable, scalable internet is available to you and your business. Explore Business is expanding our network. With our extensive fiber, fixed wireless, and satellite networks, we're able to bring you the connectivity your business deserves, with the ability to grow right where you are. With investments in fiber and 5G technology, Explore Business is your new choice for business internet. Get connected with Explore Business today. Are you ready to clear a new path? Welcome to Clearing a New Path podcast, a space for the underrepresented voices in rural Canada. I'm your host, Shauna Ray. Each episode, we'll speak authentic truth because it's the truth that connects us. We'll examine issues, solutions, and hope outside of the city limits. Clearing a New Path podcast is an invitation to listen and learn along with me on the road to building a more united, feminist, anti-racist rural Canada, one rooted in diversity and driven by reconciliation. Let's learn together, clearing a new path. I first saw Isaac Murdoch telling his stories on Facebook Lives during the pandemic. A prolific and legendary Indigenous storyteller, he was so entertaining, he left an indelible impression on me and I'm sure many others. Later, during my own training and healing about the real beginnings of Canada, Isaac's stories turned up once again during a training session as someone all of us should be listening to. I had the honor and privilege of having a conversation with Isaac recently, just before he attended a special event deemed Revolution of the Heart. Bongishwick, Isaac Murdoch, is from Serpent River First Nation. He is of the Fish Clan and is Ojibwe and has four beautiful children. He currently lives in the forest at Nimki Ashbakong an Indigenous community that focuses on Indigenous language, art, and land-based activities. Being blessed with the opportunity, Bomgishwick grew up in the traditional setting of hunting and gathering on the land. Having spent many years learning from elders, he spent a lot of his time as a storyteller. Many of these stories become his visual art pieces, which have become recognized worldwide. is also an author and singer-songwriter who loves to make music and make books whenever he gets a chance. You will often find him on the land looking at his favorite plants or gazing into the beautiful night sky. Isaac, I am thrilled to have you on the podcast. I have been a huge fan for a long time and um, just want to get out of 
my way so that you can tell uh, and, and give the messages to folks in rural and remote Canada. So what is on your mind in, you know, winter, almost spring of 2023? What are you thinking deeply about um, as it relates to rural and remote Canada? That's a really deep question. Um, first off, I just want to thank you for the invitation to be here. It's great. So hello everybody, my name is Isaac Murdoch. I my traditional name is the man who paints the rocks. I come from the village where the serpents are painted on the rocks. I am Ojibwe. I live at Thunder Mountain, a place called Thunder Mountain. And it's a great honor to be here to be able to speak with you today. The big loaded question, what am I thinking in regards to the time that we're in now? And of course, right now, the most pressing issue on my mind is how are people going to work together effectively to make the changes necessary so that our young people will not only survive the climate crisis, but they're also going to thrive, that there's going to be happiness and good health and all of those things. And so as a parent and as a grandparent of seven, you know, I feel like it's my responsibility to try and create space and narratives for this very, very question. What are we going to do? And when I think about it, there's no question in, in my mind that we can change things in an instant because there's just so many of us. You know, just in North America alone, you know, you have hundreds of millions of people, hundreds and hundreds of millions. We could change things on a dime if we wanted to. And so the question is, how do we get to that point? Or how do we get to the point where there's big changes happening? So instead of going through all of the environmental catastrophes that are going on, because I think everybody's well-versed in that, I want to talk about the opportunities that we have in front of us that can make change, that can lead to big differences. We know that there's big differences between cultures, but that diversity is important. When you look at a forest, you can see the beautiful diversity in a forest. 
and how everything gives everything to everything. And that it's the diversity that makes it rich and full and alive and sustainable. And so as human beings, we too are a part of that diversity in our, in our ecology. A lot of times I think humans, we separate ourselves from the natural world and we don't believe that we're a part of that ecology anymore. And therefore we kind of distance ourselves from it and we don't become a land-based or educated people. We're kind of being tunneled into mainstream society of capitalism and consumerism and all that stuff. Colonization has been hard on everybody. But I believe that there's enough people out there that, that see through this, that have vision and hope and have ideas and knowledge, old knowledge, you know, on how to live here without driving it into an environmental catastrophe. And, you know, like when I think about things, you know, my body is made up of like 75% water. And soon enough, all of the water in my body will go into the watershed. But here's the thing, is that water has memory. Water has a spirit. And it knows who I am. And my ancestors, their memory is in that water. The animals, the sun, the stars, all of it is in there somewhere. The thunderstorms. All of the beautiful ceremonies that our people did for the water all over the world. The water dances, the, the beautiful offerings given to the water. All of the, the amazing trips on the water for spiritual purposes. That's all in there. And somehow that's all inside of me. So instead of focusing on the trauma and the hurt and the pain, I really want to focus on the celebration and recognize that there's something incredible happening in my body. But not only that, it's being passed on. The water, this incredible ceremony of celebration and honor and integrity for the earth is being passed on, and it'll eventually become a family of squirrels. And that squirrels will become a great white pine tree. And that great white pine tree will become baby birds. And so there's a transformation that takes place. And I believe that inherently we all receive this, this code or this knowledge. It's inside of us. And one day those baby birds is going to be that guy walking down the street with a briefcase going to a pipeline meeting. And I believe that everybody has a chance to change. Everybody has the ability to look deep within themselves to regenerate the ancestral memories that they have in them and connect to the natural world. And I believe that so much because the old people always talked about that. Everything and everybody is all connected. We're all weaved into this beautiful blanket of life. Nobody can escape it. It's part of our visitation rules as guests as we enter this earth. And so when I think about today, I think, okay, well, what can we do to make partnerships? What is going to make the biggest impact? 
And of course, there's many ideas. And I think that when you look at the big spectrum of change, it takes a whole bunch of moving parts. It takes a whole bunch of ideas from all sorts of positions, you know, to make that change. And so I think it's important that we lift and build everybody up as we start moving forward for change and that we don't single each other out simply because they don't think like us or have the same ideas. But in saying that, I believe that one of the main ways to reach change is through education. And I'm not talking about the colonized, you know, factory worker type education, the Western education system that has been globally wiping out indigenous knowledges all over the world. No, I'm talking about educating kids about, you know, returning their spirits back to the environment, to getting them ready for for true sustainability, for having these conversations about, about what's right. And I think that, you know, working with young people right now, that's my main focus is saying, you know, to young kids and children that we can make the world beautiful and that when we put, you know, beautiful, beautiful things forward and we really try hard and we work hard together, we can make a beautiful world together. And I think kids are more responsive than adults for whatever reason. But I truly believe that the young, the younger generation, they get it. They understand it. And they're willing to make the sacrifices. And they're willing to work. And they're willing to be uncomfortable for change. And the adults are not. Very few are. And so that's where I focus my energy right now. Is trying to inspire and help educate the young people through art and music and stories you know, whatever I can to rekindle this, the spirit of who they are. And I don't care what race or what culture they come from. I don't discriminate because water doesn't. You know, like water, all it does is just give life to everybody it comes into contact with. Like it doesn't discriminate at all. And so that's how I like to be too. I believe that we're one big human family that we're trying to do our best in this very serious situation and that we need thinkers and dreamers. We need people that, you know, that know what their true gifts are to come forward with their superpowers and, and help change what is happening. And I believe that it's possible. So that's what I, that's what's on my mind. I believe it's possible too. And and might I say that your stories don't just appeal to children or, or let me offer this. I think that your stories appeal to the children in all of us that need healing. I think that a lot of people need healing. And when they hear your stories about in, Indigenous culture and the way things were, we remember the truth. And so you're healing adults also by telling stories as if we were children, because that's when, well, colonization happened, capitalism, a lot of settlers, white privileged folks like me, that's the way we were raised. And, but your stories help us remember the truth. 
So you're making change that way also by focusing on the children you're actually healing adults as well. Yeah, I'd like to think that, you know, like we all have broken parts inside of us. You know, there's parts of us inside that are broken. It doesn't matter who you are. It's part of the human experience. And I think through stories and teachings, you know, sometimes we're able to, you know, fix those broken parts and move on, you know, and have a happier life. Because I think at the end, you know, being happy and being uh, feeling safe, you know, within our own selves is a really big thing. It's a big deal when you, when you, we, when we can achieve that. And I think sometimes it takes a lot of hard work, but I never, I never underestimate the power of a story. I remember one time I was, I was at a college and there was a presenter that had somehow not shown up. Either the flight was canceled or something happened. And people were in a panic. And I wasn't there even to work. Like, I was just there to visit a friend. You know, and they're like, Isaac, the, the presenter didn't show up. And, you know, we, ha- we need you for like an hour. Can we just, we need you to do the keynote speech and yada, yada, yada. And I was like, I don't think I want to do a keynote speech. I want to do something different. And they're like, what do you want to do? I'm like, I don't know, but when I... When I was driving here, I said, I was looking at the swamps and some of the sloughs of very polluted water. And it was springtime at the time. And I noticed that there's these family of birds and baby birds that had to drink the polluted water, you know, eat the food out of it. So I said, I would like to do it this time is not a keynote presentation, but I'd like to interact with the group, which were 30 principals, school principals, and 36-year-old kids. And I was like, I'm going to form two chief and councils. And each one is going to be given the task on how to get clean water to baby birds. And they said, perfect. And I said, okay, let's go. So of course, I spoke to both groups. I explained that you're a chief and council now and that you're going to split up. The six-year-olds are going to be on this side of the room. The principals are going to be on this side of the room. And I said, your task is to find out how to get clean water to baby birds. And within minutes, the young kids, the six-year-olds, they were singing a song and they were holding hands. And it was really beautiful. When I looked at the adults, you know, they had their flip charts open. You know, a leader emerged amongst them. He had so many, he was so intense. I appreciated his enthusiasm. Like he was, like his veins were popping out of his forehead. Like he was right, like he was engaged. And he started to like coordinate with his team on how they were going to change things to get water to baby birds. And you could hear the flip chart paper going back and forth. And you can hear like the marker being heavily pressed down on the paper. And you could just see the intensity and the emotion, I guess, the, the panic almost, you know, amongst the adults. And of course, this went on for 20 minutes. And every time I looked and sat with the kids, they were just like singing songs, holding hands, laughing. 
And, and like, they weren't talking at all. You know, they were just having fun. And I never even really heard them say anything about nothing. So anyway, a certain amount of time passed, like 20 minutes or so. And it was time for them to make their presentations. So I went to the principals, these 30 amazing principals, good people. And, of course, this leader was the one that was going to present. And he presented his information with just as much as enthusiasm as he did making it. He went through the the flip chart papers, and you could hear them like rustling in the wind. And and he, you know, he was talking about all sorts of policy prescriptions and a new party. And he was talking about infiltrating uh, certain legislations and and you know massive court cases and you know all of this stuff, case law. And you know he just he was basically reinventing the whole Canadian politic, right? And I was impressed. I mean, I was genuinely impressed of the in-depth knowledge that these principals had. I was impressed by their their enthusiasm and the, and and also their radicalism. Like they were radical, you know, which I thought was pretty cool. And then it was time for the 6-year-olds. I thanked the principals. I said, "Great job." Now it's time to focus our attention on the six-year-olds. So I asked the six-year-olds, I said, okay, kids, I said, it's time for you to present. And this one little six-year-old girl said, wow, we've been waiting so long. And I said, oh, I said, I'm sorry. I said, but we'll be shorter next time. They said, we already know what to do a long time ago. I said, okay, tell us what's... How are we going to get water to baby birds? And they said, well, we're going to bring it to them. And in the center of their circle, where they held sacred council, they had a clay pot full of beautiful, clean water. And they said, we're going to go bring it to them down by the ravine, because we know that water is poisonous. And we're going to bring them clean water. And I said, okay, you lead the way. So behind that college, there was a ravine in the back. And the six-year-old girl held a clay pot full of clean water. And she watched her steps carefully because she didn't want to to lose one drop, she said. She says, you got to be patient with me because every drop counts. And so we slowly followed them as they sang their song down to this ravine. We get down to the ravine where there's a small creek. And by this great, beautiful, big oak tree, she places this clay vessel of pure, clean water. And we make a horseshoe around it. And they start asking the birds to come. They start singing their songs again. And something happened at that moment that fixed something that was broken deep inside of me, too. Something happened at that moment that I'll never forget. It changed who I am today. While they were singing their songs and while we were horseshoed around that tree in that clay pot, somebody said, there's birds and they're coming. And I went, what? And I looked over and sure enough, there was a a family of mallard ducks that started walking towards us. So we all just got out of the way. 
And in this clay pot, the ducks went straight to the water. I kid you not. And when I looked back, there was baby ducks in that clay pot. Drinking clean water. I was so touched. I was so moved. You know, I said, we better give them their privacy. And we left. And we started to go up. And it's like everybody was, the kids weren't shocked. The kids were happy and playing and everything. The adults were shocked and very quiet. When we got up back to the college, you know, we congratulated the kids. We gave them an honor song. You know, I sung an honor song for them. I honored them because I was so impressed. Because not only did these kids figure out how to, to get clean water within seconds, probably, they were able to achieve it in a half an hour. I think the big difference between the two groups, what I take away from this beautiful, beautiful lived experience with these young people is that the adults were working through their mind and the young people were working through their hearts. And another big thing, the difference between the two groups was that the children took action. They took physical action to make a difference whereas the adults didn't. The kids took the time and the energy to go down there and physically bring baby birds clean water. That's something that none of the adults thought of. It's, not, it's something they never, ever thought of, of doing. And for me, that was a catalyst. For me, it was a, a moment where, wow, Working through the heart and taking action is a beautiful thing. And that creating beautiful is so much more powerful than tearing something ugly down. And being for something beautiful is more powerful than being against something that isn't. And there's more power to that. Because when those kids went down there with that clay pot of water, Everybody in the world could have joined them at that time. Mothers, teachers, babies, you know, everybody. But not everybody would have followed these teachers as, as they tried to tear down the Canadian government and replace it with something different. That's power. Action through the heart. If we want to make the world better, we have to do it ourselves using our hearts, and by making beautiful. And that's something that kids taught me. So I feel like during this time, I'm just a student. <laughs> I'm just a student to, you know, this amazing, incredible, bountiful, you know, nest of young people that will change the world. And they need our support. They need our guidance. They need our, us to lift them up and to raise them up and to believe in them. This is not a regular time in history. This is different. You know, they're saying that climate change 
could wipe out the human species and most living things on the planet. So this is different. This is a different time. So we don't act normal during this time. <laughs> you know, we have to think out of the box and we got to, you know, come up with innovative ideas. And, and you know, it, there's the spirit in the heart and there's the magic that it exists that we have to tap into. And like how those young people did. That's what I think of during these times. You know, and that's, that's what I love about young people. I can't get enough of the medicine that they carry and how strong it is. It's much, they're much more powerful than me, that's for sure. Did you always know you were a storyteller? When you were a child, did you know this would be your path? No, I was shy. I was very shy. And when I was younger, I was a student to different uh, medicine people and things like that. I was a Shkabewis, and I was very loyal to one Shkabewis until they passed away, and they're, you know, they got old and passed away. And during those times, I didn't really have a voice because in our culture, we had to listen. We didn't speak too much. And it was just listen, listen, listen all the time. And so I never really developed the ability to, to even talk to people. <laughs> until one day uh, my grandfather said oh I think it'd be a good idea if you sat around and told some stories tonight and I was like wow I have the ability to like like speak openly you know and so I told some stories and people really liked it and the next thing you know like I was invited to weddings and like anniversaries and like different places like on the res and different native communities where I live to tell stories. And I didn't think I was a storyteller either. I just, these were just old bush stories that I was telling around campfires. And so I didn't really actually think I was a storyteller. And, and even in a lot of ways today, I still don't think I am either. But I do my best to tell the stories how I learned them. And the stories themselves are the magical parts, you know, and me, I'm just, I'm just the messenger. That's it. I'm like the, I'm like the CD player, you know, that's it. It's the, the CDs were already made, you know, by our ancestors. That's how I see it. And does sometimes you not even realize, like if you, if somebody said to, could you tell that story again, you know, five minutes later, you would be like, I couldn't do it exactly the same way again. It came, it came through me, not from me. Well, I find the stories like, because I do tell a lot of them. Yeah. They always come out. The details are the same. You know, everything is the same in that sense. But again, it is driven by spirit. So lots of times when I'm telling stories, I have a, a feast plate and I feast the spirits that I'm talking about during as I'm telling the story. I feast them, I give them little gifts. And when I'm done the story, I put that in the bush or I put it in the fire to feed them. You know, because I believe that in order for those stories to be strong, we, we call them Atsukanan in our language. In order for those stories to be strong, we have to nourish them and feed them. 
because those characters and those stories, those spirits are coming to help us. They travel here. And just like any guest, of course, you'd give them gifts and food. You'd give thanks for them. And so as a, as a storyteller, I feel like that's part of my responsibility is to uphold those cultural traditions that go along with telling Atsukanan, you know, sacred stories. And so for me, it's a, it's a blessing to be a part of this life, to be able to be able to tell, you know, just some of these stories. I don't know anything. I know very few stories. But what I do know, you know, sometimes I share them and I really appreciate that people respond and enjoy listening to them. You are also a songwriter and a singer. And I noticed that you are making mitts and a hat. You are a creator in general. What inspires you? I mean, I always loved working with my hands. I always like doing things. Um, I have a very low education. When I was younger, my mother said, you don't have to go to school. There's enough kids going to school and there's not enough kids going in the bush. So I learned how to do things with my hands all the time. And if we wanted something, we had to make it. You know, that's just the way it was. And so I've always felt the beautiful rhythms of making something. There's a there's a pulse, there's a heartbeat on the land that you get connected to when you're making stuff, you know? And I feel like I'm in tune, like I'm working with nature when I'm doing these things, whether I'm building a birch bark canoe or moccasins or mittens or a hat or whatever I'm doing. Um, I feel like I'm somehow it, it connects me more to where I need to be. You know, I had a really, really tough, challenging childhood that was has some pretty horrible stories to it. And I think that, you know, if I'm sewing those gloves, you know, those beaver gloves, those beautiful beaver gloves made out of brain tan moose hide, you can smell it, you know? And as I'm sewing, it's like I'm sewing up the broken parts inside of me. You know, I'm fixing myself. I'm so, and not only that, but somehow in this beautiful blanket of life that's been compromised, I feel like I'm helping sew some of that up too. I'm contributing in a bigger way that can't be seen. And so for me, you know, doing those things, I feel like I'm, I'm healing and I'm contributing, you know, to society. And I mean, I'm not really a master at anything, but I always try my best. You know, I, da I, I dabble with a lot of things. You're actually a legend. Um, I have uh, <laughs> some Indigenous and non-Indigenous uh, folks in a sacred circle. And when I mentioned that I was going to be speaking with you, you're a legend in a lot of ways, in a lot of circles. And when you say that you don't have a lot of education, you have a bounty of education where it matters. And that healing that you're doing, you're right, you are healing all of us. So thank you. Well, thank you so much. And if I just may say one more thing before I go, that would be this. You know, I believe that one day, you know, 
our people will be sitting around a fire. And they're going to be telling this Atsukan, this sacred story of when the two-legged try to destroy the earth. And guess who the characters of that story is going to be? It's going to be us. For whatever reason, we are the chosen ones to be in this sacred story right now. And I believe that we each have a gift, you know, a superpower that can be used to help humanity, to help the lands and waters, the animals. But I think we have to dig deep and we have to nourish and feast our gift and master it and and be very good at it. And when we do that, then the real part of us gets exposed. And that's what the world needs, are real people that are in touch with their spirits and their true gifts. And when those things flourish and nourish, I think that great medicine will be casted across the earth. And you see it happening now. You see a lot of younger people saying, you know what? This is who I really am. This is my true gift. And this is what I'm going to do. So I'm very hopeful of the future. And in this very sacred story, there's going to be a lot of beautiful heroes. And so with that, I want to thank you, Shauna, for taking the time with having me here today. It's been a great honor. Since we started doing this, the sun just started shining, you know? And that's that's how I think of you and your program. Just a big ray of sunshine. So I want to thank you so, so much for having me here today. Amigwich, bama pigwabnanim, nahau, miwe. Amigwich, sir. Thank you. Want to keep the conversation going? Subscribe to the Clearing a New Path newsletter. Drop me an email, follow the podcast on social media, and or you can leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Clearing a New Path podcast artwork is supported by the graphic design of Katie Wilhelm, and the music branding is by The Hankering Studio. The podcast is produced by Radar Media in Thames Centre, Ontario. It is the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe, Haudenosaunee, and Mississauga or neutral peoples who once used this land as their traditional beaver hunting grounds. The First Nations communities closest to the studio are Chippewa of the Thames First Nation, Oneida Nation of the Thames, Muncie Delaware First Nation, and the Chippewas of Kettle and Stony Point. I will speak to many more people across Turtle Island this season And as a settler here, I'm committed to deepening understanding of colonialism, the TRC's calls to action, and to reframing responsibilities to land and community. I am grateful to Mother Earth and Creator for the opportunity for love and connection, and to the spirits of the elders and the medicine people who still walk the earth. Until next time, 